You are listening to this week's sermon podcast from LifePoint Church in Ames, Iowa. For more information, visit www.livethemessage.org. So Kyle starts in two days. If you're a college student, please come be a part. It's going to be an amazing year. Uh, we want to welcome you guys this morning. And then in, in the coming weeks, we're starting life groups. And so check out the website. All the life groups are listed there with a directory. If you're a part of this church and you want to get plugged in and begin growing in community, life groups are where they're at. If you're part of Chi Alpha, Chi Alpha has small groups of their own, which are going to be amazing on campus. I'm really excited for this morning to introduce to you uh, a prayer that we're going to be praying over ourselves as individuals and over our church um, over the next nine months. And it's really summarized in this idea that our life in Christ is, is a life of unending discovery. Our life in Christ is a life of unending discovery. And it actually comes from a prayer that Paul prayed 2,000 years ago over the church of Ephesus, which he intended to be a prayer over all the churches uh, of the first century. And it was this prayer in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, where he said, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. I constantly pray for you, asking the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in the knowledge of God. There was this unrelenting prayer in Paul's heart. He couldn't contain himself, and he constantly was thanking the Lord for these believers that were popping up all over the known world. And his constant prayer for them was that they would continually grow in the knowledge of God. And so over the next nine months, we're going to go on a journey of convincing ourselves and our city that Christianity and boredom are incompatible. Following Christ and predictability, they cannot go hand in hand. God is inviting us into this lifelong journey of unending discovery of who he is and who he's created us to be. That's what ushers us in to this eternal life that Christ came and declared 2,000 years ago. This unending discovery of God Almighty. I'll begin unpacking it like this. If you've ever visited the ocean, have any of you been to the ocean? Am I just the only one? Awesome, yeah. You've probably been to the Atlantic or the Pacific and oftentimes when you go to the ocean, you splash around in the shorelines and, and you have a blast. Maybe you get into your waist and you feel the force of the ocean, right? Oftentimes in Christianity, we splash around on, on, the, on the edges of Christianity, on who God is. Maybe we get introduced to who Christ is. And sometimes we settle for that being it, as though, as though that's all that there is to who Christ is and to all that there is to, to, to who God is. But wouldn't it be silly if I were to take a trip to the Atlantic Ocean and then for me to come back and say, you know, I've, I've done the whole ocean thing. I've, I've conquered it, right? I, I, I know all that there is to know about the ocean. It's, that's silly. Still, scientists say today that 95% of the ocean is unexplored, right? So we're splashing around the edges of it. That's one scenic position on that coastline. You know, it's one speck of dust on the, the span of the oceans, right? The, the, the ocean represents this fierce, untapped aspect of our earth, right? That's a silly comparison 
to who God is, but I think it begins to move us in the right trajectory. That God is this fierce, unending, you know, inexhaustible, glorious Father. Amen. That we can go on a journey of discovering who He is. That's what Christ is inviting us into, and that was Paul's unrelenting, unceasing, some translations say, I have not ceased to pray this over you. So there was this unceasing thing in Paul's heart that drove him to constantly pray for them that their eyes would be open spiritually. Spiritually, their hearts would be able to begin to be open to the idea that there's more to Christ. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you open up to that passage, Ephesians chapter 1. That's what we're going to unpack this morning. As we launch this year-long theme called Discover More, I want us to be a church that begins to open our hearts up to that fact that Christ has more for us. So we're going to read Ephesians chapter 1 reading, uh, leading up to that prayer. I want us to ask the question, what was it that led Paul to pray like that in this unceasing nature, this unrelenting nature? What, what was it in his heart that, where he couldn't hold it back, that type of constant prayer? I want us to understand the context. If we're going to make this prayer a prayer for our church over the next nine months, I want us to understand the context of the prayer. So we're going to do that by diving into Ephesians chapter 1. Let's pray before we read God's word. Lord, you're so good, and I can sense that you are here, and you're, you're working in my life, and I know you're working in hearts this morning. So God, I pray that you would allow us to see things differently as a result of meeting with you this morning. As a result of meeting with family this morning, I pray that we would see the world differently. We'd see you differently. We'd see your word differently. We'd sense your presence in a greater way. God, it's only you that can apply your word to each individual situation represented here this morning. Those with doubts, those with questions, those with unbelief, or those of us that feel like we're outsiders, like we don't belong, those of us that feel alone, I pray that this morning you would come and minister to us like only you can do in your precious name. Amen. So Ephesians chapter 1, this is a, this is a letter that Paul wrote 2,000 years ago. And it's addressed to a church in Ephesus, a prominent city of its day. But many scholars believe that Paul meant it to be a circular letter, meaning it was meant to be passed on from church to church. And Paul wrote this from a prison cell. And so that's some context to where Paul's at and the, and the fact that he can write what he writes in the midst of his own difficulties, in the midst of his own persecutions for the sake of the gospel. This is what he writes. He says, this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I'm writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us, and he chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he's poured out on us who belong to his dear son. 
He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and he forgave our sins. He showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to us his mysterious plan regarding Christ, a plan to fulfill his own good pleasure. And this is the plan that at the right time he'll bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. And he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. God's purpose was that we Jews, who were the first to trust in Christ, would bring, would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you, received, or when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, who he, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God, God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us into his own people. He did this so we could praise and glorify him. Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, and here's the prayer, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. And he actually continues that prayer, and we'll unpack that in the weeks to come. That's what led to Paul praying this bold prayer, that these believers, their life in Christ would be this life of unending discovery, where they have spiritual wisdom and insight. Some translations say uh, spiritual wisdom and revelation. For you to grow in the knowledge of God, there is more available to us in Christ So firstly, I want us to understand as we're looking at this passage leading up to this prayer that Christ has gone too far for us to ever stop discovering who he is. Christ has gone too far. He's bridged too far of a distance for us to stop at anything short or short than, than what he purchased for us. He's gone too far. In verses 4 and 5, if you look in your Bibles, it says, even before he made the world, he loved us and chose us in Christ. Verse 5 says that in advance, he chose, you know, he decided that he was going to adopt us as sons and daughters, adopt us into his family. So that means that Christ peered through eternity. He peered through eternity and he saw what was going to take place and yet he chose to pursue relationship with us. God, even before he made the world, he pondered the possibilities of what was going to take place. And he knew that if he created a world where love could actually be in existence, where free will, free choice love could be in existence, he knew the inevitable counter-reality is that evil could also exist. And yet he chose to pursue us. I don't know if that blows your mind. But he didn't stop there. He didn't just peer through eternity contemplating the, the consequences of his creation. He also then went the, the further mile and he took on flesh. He, he, didn't, he didn't abort the whole experiment, the cosmic experiment. He actually took on flesh. He lived amongst humanity. And he didn't hire somebody else to come and save us. He himself came and dwelt amongst us. 
He traveled a great distance. He, he bridged the span between God, Almighty God of the universe. He knows the other end of the universe. It's still expanding. He's been there. He knows it. And, and then there's us little peon humanity, you know? He bridged that massive divide. He said, I'm going to take on flesh. I'm going to come and live amongst them for 33 years. Christ has gone too far for us to stop discovering him. When we have a wedding, anybody gets married, we always invite people to come and travel to our weddings, right? People from near and far. And people are so gracious, right? They're so amazing that they'd come and be a part of a lot of our biggest day, right? Well, in junior high, I met a friend that became a lifelong friend. My parents came to me one day in junior high and said that we want to have a foreign exchange student. I was like, oh, that sounds amazing. My siblings weren't as excited, but I was excited. Like, yes, of course, that would be cool. And me and this, this guy, his name is Luis, me and him just hit it off. Luis and I, had, we had just had a lot in common. His, his family had just encountered Christ, and so there was this, this ripeness to his uh, relationship with Christ, and on top of that, we both loved math. We were both math nerds, and we loved music. And we, so we just hit it off on so many levels. We became best of friends. And so from, from that time on, from junior high on, we started to go back and forth. Either, either I'd go down to Guatemala or he'd come up to the States, back and forth, and we just became great friends all the way through college. So then the big day comes. I'm going to ma- marry the woman of my dreams, and invite everyone to come. Of course, I, I asked him to be in my wedding. Didn't think he'd come, though, right? But he did come, and he brought, brought his whole family across the continent. You know, they travel across the continent to North Dakota. No, I mean, no, no one's even been to North Dakota. They live in the States. But he's from, from another country, <laughs> and he, he goes to North Dakota. And, you know, there, there's that awkwardness about weddings where, like, all these people travel that great distance to hang out or to be a part of your day, and you don't really get to see them much, right? So I, I felt so bad because he was there for the better part of a week, and I hardly got to see him really at all. My, my family's amazing at hosting him and his entire family. Um, and I was just so grateful. But as, as, as amazing as that is that someone would travel across the continent for a single day that was significant to us, it pales, and it's honestly a silly comparison to, to the distance that Christ bridged for you and I. He traveled the greatest distance. He, he went as far as reasonably could be thought of to pursue relationship with you. And make that personal. That's not just nameless, faceless um, blob of humanity. That is you. He pursued you. He, he bridged that distance for you. He's gone too far for you to stop discovering who he is. So Christ, Christ has gone too far. He's also paid too high a price for us to stop discovering him. He's paid too high a price. In verse 6, it says, the glorious gra- We praise God for the glorious grace that he poured, on, poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He's so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with his blood. He paid the ultimate price. He wasn't stingy in his pursuit of you and I. He didn't hold back. He paid the highest price. He saw the value and the worth that he created in his image, in humanity, and he said, I'm going to pay the highest price. 
Listen to Isaiah 53, verses 3 through 6. It's on the screen. He says, He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. He tur- we turned our backs on him. We looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet, yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for our own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We've left God's path to follow our own. To follow our own. Yet the Lord has laid on him the sin of us all. He paid the price to take care of your oppression. The heaviness, the weights that we carry. He carries our sorrows. He carries our burdens. He paid the highest price. We all will pay a price for any item that we think is worth it, right? That's the essence of the economical exchange that we live in. We pay for something because we actually think it's worth it. Some of us are much better at making our money go further, right? My wife is amazing at thrifting. She, just, she gets this adrenaline rush out of finding the best deal. I can see it in her eyes when she's come home and she's got some amazing item. Because what she does is then she pulls it up on, on her phone or on the computer to try to see how much money she saved. She's like, I saved like 95%. It's amazing. And she, she gets super stoked. We're not all that driven by thrift, but even if we're not, even if we're lazy, like most men in this place, we don't want to shop around. We're like, that looks great. So even in our own laziness, we're saying, like, it's worth it for us to not have to shop around anymore. We're saying it's worth it, right? It has that value to us. Or for my wife, that, that, that rush of uh, her favorite pastime, there, there's, there's that, that value there for her. We pay for what we think is worth it. Can I tell you that God didn't shop around, consider all the options. I'm going to go with the, I'm going to go with the cheapest route. He didn't. He actually, he, there's MSRP, and then there's the price that Christ paid, so far exceeding the reasonable price that, that could be paid for you and I. He superseded it. He paid the highest price. And what a travesty it would be for us to cheapen it, for us to lower that value and stop short of all that he's paid for you and for, for me. So what that does, when, when you and I can begin to open our hearts up to that reality, is it, it, it invites us into a lifelong pursuit of understanding the worth that God innately created in you and I. He's created you with worth. So this world that we live in, where we're inundated with a false sense of worth, a fleeting sense of worth. It's obliterated in light of the cross, the price that that Christ paid for you and for me. You have true identity that you can discover in Christ, and in the year ahead, we're going to discover that together. So he's gone too far, he's paid too high a price, and lastly, he's offered us too much. He's opened the door to way too much for us to stop discovering who he is. He's opened the floodgates of heaven for us. Listen to these verses that we just read. Verse 3, he says, it says, Paul prays, or he's, he's leading up to his prayer in this way. He says, who's blessed us, Christ, who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. I don't even know what that means. But I want to know. 
If Christ has made available to you and I every spiritual blessing in Christ in the heavenly realms, I do know that we're physical beings and we're spiritual beings. That means the the spiritual part of who we are comes alive in Christ, and at that moment forward, we have to us available all sorts of heavenly blessings. He actually says all heavenly blessings. They're available to us. That, if that's not an invitation, I don't know what is. For you and I to go on a pursuit, on a journey of discovering all that is available to us in Christ. That's just verse 3. Because as we continue, he says, We've received an inheritance. You were, in, you were united with Christ and you received an inheritance. That means Christ didn't just purchase for you a spot in the bleachers in heaven hey, good, you got a ticket. It's a generic ticket, general admission into heaven. No, he said he gave you an inheritance. That means you're actually legitimately part of the family. Someone doesn't give an inheritance to someone to whom they do do not know and to whom they care very little for, right? We give an inheritance to someone who actually has a, a real part of our family. We want to carry on the family name, right? We want to receive the blessing of our family. That's what he's given to you. He's given it to you. Not just me, to you. He's given you an inheritance. Verse 13, he says, he's identified you as his own. He's called you his own. He looks at you and he says, he or she, you're mine. And he he guarantees that by giving you his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. And so our life in Christ is initiated when we commit our lives to him, when we surrender our lives to him. But that's like just dipping our toe into the ocean of God's vastness. What I'm inviting us into over the next nine months is this journey of kind of heading over to the dock that's on an ocean beach and you jumping in, cannonball style, or whatever your style is, if you like to dive head first. Diving, diving, diving into all that Christ has for us. For us to see that there's more to just playing around the fringes of Christianity. Dipping our toes into the water and appreciating how beautiful it is from afar, but experiencing it. Diving deep into Him. It's all available to us. I'm going to invite the worship team forward. And I'm going to invite the ushers forward. I'm going to invite the ushers forward and the worship team forward. Uh, Wow. (laughs) It's all right. It's all good. good. A little slow. It's It's all good. So I'm asking the ushers to come forward. You're going to need something in your hands, though, if you're if you're helping as an usher. Um. What we've created for you, for us as a church, for every single person that's here this morning, is prayer cards. I want you to take one or two or a couple of these prayer cards and I want you to put them somewhere in your daily life where you can begin making this a prayer for your daily life. Make this a prayer over you individually. Maybe you can put it in your uh, bathroom mirror. Go ahead and hand them out. You can take as many as you want. I want you to take one of these prayer cards and put it in your bathroom mirror Put it in the dash of your car. Put it, slip one in your Bible. 
This prayer is simply that prayer, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, where he says, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I constantly pray for you, asking the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so you might grow in the knowledge of God. Here's the idea that I have. The idea is simply this, that if we begin to pray like Paul prayed here, inspired by the Holy Spirit, I believe that God is going to give us spiritual wisdom and insight so we would grow in the knowledge of God. And so I see a humble group of people, this church, I see a humble group of people nine months from now fully going after Christ in a radical way, so hungry for more of Him, more in love with Him in nine months than we are today. More broken and moved for the things that are happening in our city than, even, than, uh, than we were now. So take a prayer card, make, begin to make this your individual prayer, begin to make this your, the prayer over your family, begin to make this the prayer over our church, begin to make this the prayer over our city. Christ has gone too far, he's paid too high a price, and he, he's offered us too much for us to stop discovering who he is. He's inviting you this morning. So I want to finish with this story. This is not an original Drew story, this is a Jesus story. Luke chapter 15, Jesus told the story of two sons. Two sons of a rich, rich dad. Their dad did pretty well. And one day the younger son came to, came to his father and said, Dad, I'm tired of working around here. I'm tired of doing all these chores. I want out. I want my inheritance. It's pretty offensive to tell your dad you want, you want your, your inheritance. You, you want him to die, essentially. I want my money, Dad. I want out. So his dad, with a grieved heart, he gives him his portion of the inheritance, and he's off. And the Bible says he wastes it on prostitutes. Like, he just wastes it away gone in a moment right so when he when he runs out obviously he doesn't have he doesn't have any friends anymore because he doesn't have any money he ends up working the lowest of the lowest of jobs feeding pig slop to pigs and he has this thought one day maybe if i if i go back to my father i can at least be a servant in my dad's estate so he he musters up the humility to do that he makes his way back to his dad's property this beautiful portion of scripture it says his dad sees him while he's still far off his dad was waiting for him right he sees him while he's still far off and he runs to him he doesn't even make him come all the way to him he's not waiting there okay come here son now that you've humbled yourself no he runs to him while he's still far off and he embraces him and Jesus said that he puts a ring on his finger he puts a robe around him he says son we're gonna have a party tonight I'm going to kill our best calf. My son has returned. But many scholars accurately call this parable, not the parable of the prodigal son, but the parable of the two sons, because there's, there's another son. It's the older son, right? And so they're at the party later that night, and the older son is kind of sitting in the corner. Everyone's having a good time because the younger son is back, right? And he's kind of groveling in the, back, in the back corner, like, in the world, I've been faithful years. I've been so consistent and faithful to my dad. Why is my brother getting a party? 
Oh, and I love, the, I love his dad's response. It's simply this. Luke chapter 15, verse 37. He says, son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. Son, all, son you are always with me. He's, he's this entire time made all that he has available to him. So, so often we, we, don't, we don't get introduced to that idea. We don't get invited into that idea on the outset of our pursuit of Jesus and our relationship with Christ. Christ is making everything available to you. There is no such thing as boredom in Christianity. Christ has invited you into a relationship where all that is all that he has is available to him. What's so fascinating about Jewish culture in this parable is that the older son was actually guaranteed a double portion of what the younger son had. So that entire time, he had it all available to him. He didn't have to be this victim to this, this sob story, right? He had it all available to him the entire time, but actually even more so. He had a double portion available to him. How sad it is when I myself kind of relegate my relationship to Christ to something so much less than what he purchased and what he pursued for you and for me. So for some in this place, you would associate with the younger brother. You say, I, I just need to get right with God. I just need to come back to him. But many of us in this place, myself included, oftentimes find ourselves in the shoes of the older brother, where we're so, we're so fixated on what's happening around us and how awesome everybody else has it in life and how much easier everyone else has it. And we don't realize that we're sitting on a double portion blessing already. Christ has purchased it for us. He's made it available to us. He's offering it to us. He says, I'm here for you. I'm with you always. All that I have is yours. For more information, visit www.livethemessage.org.